Hey, so you want to be an entrepreneur? Well, do you think you could make it two decades? Do you think you could last 20 years? MailChimp took 20 years to get to a $12 billion exit with a major company called Intuit, the same company that makes up QuickBooks, Rocket Mortgage, and they have an incredible story. And so we're breaking down the 10 things that helped MailChimp be successful in exiting for $12 billion as a bootstrapped company. AD, what's up? What is up? Hey, man, we're back. <laughs> Today we're, we're wrapping on Bootstrapped, right? So this is a, a segment of our show on the Payton Profits podcast where we're talking explicitly about companies that bootstrap their business from zero to 100, if not millions and billions yep. of dollars. And um, Hey, C-Rock here. When we were recording this episode, for the next 30 seconds, you're going to hear a buzzing in the background. We forgot to turn a fan off. So just bear with us for 30 seconds, and then it goes away. I promise. Okay, thank you. Enjoy the episode. I personally become obsessed. You know, a lot of this content that we create is stuff that we're thinking about, we're going through. And so bootstrapping a company is where we're at with Clearly Acquired. <clears throat> but specifically today, we're talking about MailChimp. So some of you might know a couple of years ago during 2021, during the pandemic and all that stuff, uh, MailChimp sold to Intuit, the company that owns QuickBooks, for... <laughs> $12 billion. With a B, $12 billion. And they were a privately held company up until that point. But the part that most people don't know is it took them 20 years. So today's, today's bootstrap story is called It Might Take 20 Years. <clears throat> so we've extracted 10 things yes. from MailChimp's story specifically that we feel are valuable to you as entrepreneurs and to us as entrepreneurs on this journey to try to bootstrap the company because the vision that most people have of starting a company, the number one question we always hear is like, Oh, I need money right. to do that. And, and truthfully you don't no. Um But the very first thing that I think is the most important number one of the MailChimp bootstrap story is self-funding. And that's really what bootstrapping is, but it's more about, they were just explicit about their desire to not give up control to venture capitalists. I'm not sure specifically why, but if I had to guess, it's, it's a lot to do with the fact that when VCs step in early days and you don't really have a, a viable product or revenue yet, they take a large chunk of the equity and a lot of times a large chunk of the control. Right. And so because they had immense vision for where they wanted to go with the business, they knew specifically that the VCs probably weren't the right partner fit for them. And so in order to keep that control, they just needed a cell phone. So if you, and actually on that topic, if you guys haven't seen the most recent episode of street smarts, we actually talk about that explicitly about the importance of creating a 10 year vision and what that means in terms of your growth story, because it keeps you focused, devoted, gives you patience because you can see the vision around the corner. You can delay that gratification. Mm -hmm. So we'll link it right here or in the show notes. If you're listening on the audio experience, <clears throat> But uh, the next most important part is minimalism. What does that mean? Well, it means in their case, it's operating on a shoestring budget, yep. you know, and, and focusing on keeping the costs low and yet at the same time keeping the costs low, but maintaining and prioritizing essential spending. Right. Exactly. Um, Which, and I think sometimes our ego gets in the way, right? Where like, I need to have this nice truck for my business or this nice office or, or these computers, these computers or, right. you know, whatever it might be when truthfully you don't, that's just your ego talking. Well, what's interesting too is, um, a, a, 
a little bit that I learned about the founder, but I always forget it, Ben's last name, Chestnut. Yeah. Uh, so he came up in a period where he was seeing the, he came up really in the dot-com bubble. Yeah. Uh, and he himself decided to go all in on this by way of being laid off. Right. And so I think really those, not we don't know fully, but those were some of those seeds of like, dude, I've seen this gone wrong where people are laid off and businesses can't handle this. And, and he was literally laid off. And that's what pushed him into uh, going with MailChimp. And so I think some of that minimalist approach and that, that bootstrap from the get-go comes from that experience of like, mm, I've seen this. Yeah. And so dot-com bubble, you know, if you're not familiar with that, but you know, a lot of people, a lot of money and <laughs> same thing happens. The companies blow up and then they just lay a bunch of people off kind of similar to what we've been going through for the, say, yeah. <laughs> for the past couple of years. Right. And so I think there's sometimes like in the, in the middle of a, of a bull run, people get excited about joining the startup culture because there's just money ad nausea. But <laughs> at the end in a bear market, that's the first thing to go, man. People just start cutting spending yeah. left and right. So yeah, minimalism was in it. And he also had a background in web design yep. and uh, development. So he could, some of those resources and things he could do himself, do himself. Right. right. And so he didn't have to outsource it, which is kind of a crucial part as well. Which to his point, they'll either apply it or someone might not be in that position, but maybe it's a skill that you can learn to get to a satisfactory level. Yep. Right. 100%. So then the, the third key thing was, a lean team. So you said it before, essential spending. Uh, we talked about it again on the importance of, you know, having a clear vision and reinvesting in those early startup phases into people. Yeah. But strategically, what are the right people? So we're experiencing this right now. Building software is not, not cheap. cheap, right? <clears throat> and we're self-funding. And so how are we, who are we reinvesting into the most? The skill sets that you and I have, sales, marketing, brand leadership, leadership, content, finance. What I don't know how to do is code. I can talk <laughs> about it. Right. But you know, you don't want to see his website website. <laughs> I, I can't write software. I can't do any of that. <clears throat> um, so we very strategically brought on a partner, Jeremy Girk, and he is an engineer. The guy's done front end. He's done back end. He's done websites. He's literally been in the game for like 15 plus years. We've already built software with this guy before. Um, he's incredible, um, but he has a weak point, which he's not a front end engineer, right? Or he, at least he lost that skill set. So the next most important piece that we needed to kind of bring into our ecosystem was we needed to bring in somebody who was a product manager who right. knew how to orchestrate the needs and necessity of the software. And then we needed a UI UX designer. Right. So, and then, then Jeremy would know exactly what he needs to build. Right. Right. Um, we could have went out and spent 500,000 on a team to do this all for us remote, but one, we weren't even sure entirely what we're building and which is why you want to stay lean. And two, the further it gets away from you as the core, like founding group designing the software, the harder it gets. And again, we, going back to the beginning, we would have had to go raise money to do that. Right. right. And so we didn't like that. So keep a lean team, um, reinvest back into most important crucial roles and functions in the business to expand beyond your skill set where right. you're weak. Right. We can market all day. We don't need people to do that. We can create content all day. Yeah. You, I mean, <clears throat> you speak, speaking of marketing, that's literally one of the next things that not so much the marketing part, but user centric development of platform. Yes. Right. Uh, and so rather than spending a bunch of money on marketing and advertising, 
you know, you build the product with the people in mind, which really is a form of marketing. Um, and so they concentrated on developing a product that really catered to the needs and preferences of people trying to utilize this platform. Yeah, and, and so just to give you context, like the way that we would do that is we have people on our wait list who we go to, who we know would be power users of the platform. We then take the UI design, we bring that to them. They then use it and it's interactive so they can experience this and tell us what's good, what's bad, what they hate. And then by the time the developer actually gets hands on it, it's exactly what the users have told us that they want. There's a great book called Lean Startup. If you haven't read that, it's perfect. But if let's say you're not in software, let's just say you're in a services businesses, services, businesses, <laughs> service business, Jeez, Louise, user centric development could also just be a uh, user centric uh, product building. Correct. Right. <clears throat> and so how would you go about doing that? You could literally go to the 10 people that know, like, and trust you, give them uh, an offer at a discount and you could build um, some reputation and some experience without spending too much money or maybe taking your friend's money. But you know, there's a trust factor there and use that as an opportunity to refine your offer, refine your service, right. so on and so forth. Right. Or in this case, refine your product. Yeah, exactly. And so actually we, we did a, I did a video on that, like how to go from zero to revenue, 15 steps that we'll, we'll also link right here on the YouTube video. We'll put that in the comments as well. Very helpful to kind of like dive deeper on that topic of user centric, you know, development. Um, but then number five, so in the world of software, there's this model called freemium and it's really just a fancy way to say like, we're giving you a lot of the product for free up to a, and then once you, once you reach a certain user level data, number of emails, number of subscribers, then we're going to start charging you. Mm -hmm. and, and that model works really well because in, in the world of software, we call that product led growth, right? Yeah. The people get to experience the platform and kind of grow into it first before they decide to jump in with both feet. Yeah. You know, the, the interesting thing about uh, MailChimp specifically with the freemium model is throughout these 20 years that they built this company, uh, it was actually one of the, at the time period that they started initiating this, it wasn't normal practice. Yeah, they were one of the first people to really yeah. initiate that concept because they were focused on if we could just get people to use our product, we know that they would be hooked because there wasn't a good email marketing platform at the time. They really had automation and user flow and good design and you know, subscriber management, all that kind of stuff. And that was also kind of the same time when it started to become an issue of uh, people not being able to unsubscribe Remember, Like yeah. they started passing laws in and around like, you can't just add people to your email list and start emailing them. They have to opt into it. Yep. And it, at the very least they have to be able to opt out of it. Um, so they were, yeah, they were leading the charge on that for sure. Pretty cool. What was inter what's interesting too, it's in there because it, what I was going to say can tie to another point that we'll touch on also, but during the time in which they were really sort of piloting this, uh, so 2007, 2008, 2009 economic down downturn, yep. they, put on a show because literally n people weren't, exp wait, I get to use your platform for free and I don't have money. Right. Oh, oh I love you. Right. Exactly. You know? So it's just like phew. pretty powerful, pretty powerful. <clears throat> and they, you know, they, by using the freemium model, they got hundreds of thousands of users yeah. that way. 
similar Canva did a similar thing as well, which we talked about Canva on a different pod. Right. Um, but that was a great, a great model that now everybody is kind of starting to use. I think in software, it's important. It's kind of, I always use like the sample platter. Like before I decided to buy the whole thing, like, let me just try it first. When you're building point number six to regularly get customer feedback. Right. So having built software before, one of the mistakes we made was we made a lot of assumptions about what we assumed the customer would want or use. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is you have the curse of knowledge because you're so close to it. You know it so well. You understand the user interface, the tools, the function. Maybe you're a higher level marketer. And you're like, oh, this would be sweet. I would use that. Nobody used it. <laughs> um, so but I wonder why, right? I wonder why, you know, Ben Chestnut, yep. there's stories about him being in the trenches four in the morning, one in the morning, yep. going back and forth with customers, right? Um, you know, getting input, doing these kinds of things and shaping, hey, this is how the platform is going to work. You know, that's the way you did it. Like you said, you didn't do that. Yeah. So. And we learned and then we went back the next time and like right. started to get that user feedback, but it was a very expensive lesson yeah. to learn. Right. Um, yeah. One, one of the things I like about Ben Chestnut, I watched um, him at SAS stars give yes. a talk, which is a huge platform for software as a service companies. And they were trying to throw all these like the VC jargon at him, private equity jargon, you know, what's your CAGR and like all this. He's like, I don't know what that means, <laughs> you know? Um, He's just a normal dude. He never got caught up in the VC world of how it works. He was just like so obsessed with the customer and making sure the product for them was sick. Yes. That he knew that if he did that and got profitable, he could control his own destiny. Do you know, which correlates with the next point, which is word of mouth. Right. That's why, you know, I would, I would argue, you know, when I've, even when I ventured into the marketing space going on seven years ago, uh, MailChimp, I think of Constant Contact and I thought of MailChimp. But I, one thing I've always noticed about MailChimp was that people talked about it. Right. People talked about using it. And, and it, but it's, it's all of these things, these, you know, I'm committed to customer feedback. I'm put a freemium model. It's user centric. We have this lean team of people who are dedicated to building this platform, you know, and I keep it minimal and I self funding it so we can stay true to what we're building. Like, and in turn, People spread the word for you, right? And so, yeah, word, word, word of mouth still applies in digital for sure, hundred percent. Because the way that the way that I heard about Mailchimp was not like an ad; it was, oh, we should use Mailchimp. That's what somebody said. Yeah, like, what the heck is Mailchimp? They're like, it's an email marketing platform. That was back when, like, Mailgun. I mean, we we were doing stuff on on building our own servers that did what Mailchimp did. Yeah, right. And then all of a sudden, Mailchimp came out and brought it out at scale. And so, this is a real thing that people really need. <laughs> Um, so word of mouth still matters, but there's, it's like a social wildfire, right? So yeah. if you, if you can build a great product, people can get on and try it. That's the freemium model. They will then tell other people about it. And why is that? Satisfied customers become advocates. hundred percent. Always spreading the word. Which ties in perfectly with brand personality. Yeah. And this is an area that you are passionate about. You talk a lot about what does it mean to build a brand? Yes. And I think MailChimp's done an incredible job they, they have done an incredible job you know they they've it's funny you say i'm passionate i am passionate about it in fact by the time of this going out i will have released a new video 
in our bigger than brand, bigger than business podcast that is really touching on the internal essence of brand, which people like Ben Chestnut understand and companies like Mail, MailChimp exhibit. So make sure you guys check that out. Uh, but MailChimp, they, they legitimately, I mean, if you know MailChimp, you can see the monkey in your yeah. head, right? <laughs> so, That's what he said he, in his SaaS stars talk. He said, I'm just a guy that owns a company with a stupid little chimp as his mascot. <laughs> he makes fun of it himself, but it was made it, it made it fun and quirky and, and memorable, approachable. Well, because the heart of the heart of brand uh, is relationship, right? That's, and and so the monkey is just something that is another piece of this pie of relationship between this company and its users, right? One, one of the things I love about Mailchimp, though, like just saying it out loud, you know what it embodies. It's email that's so simple, a even a monkey could do yeah, it, right? For sure, <laughs> for sure. And so it, you know. They develop this unique and memorable, memorable brand personality, right? And and that helps them stand out in the long game. Yep. Uh, to this day, literally, like I've I have used the platform minimally compared to others, and literally, I'm talking about them. I know about them. Yep. Right. And brand goes a long way when you, but it's it goes back to the top. You know, when we think about the eight core concepts. Yes. You know, brand is kind of here at the bottom in the marketing. But it's a result of the quality of the person at the top in leadership. And the, and the, the values that you want to yeah. embody. And exi- it's much more than people think often think that brand means a logo and yeah. a tagline and a color scheme. It's the farthest thing from it. Yeah. Brand, brand is really an embodiment of why you exist. Right. What your, as they would say in Japan, is your ikigai yeah. or, or Costa Rica, plan de vida, right? Your reason for getting up and doing the work that you do. And it comes out in everything that you do, which for them, it was, we want to deliver an email platform that's super powerful, robust, but very simple for SMBs, really small business owners to be able to use, which we know that world really, really well, right? Like SMBs are wearing the most hat. And if you're listening to this, you're probably a small business owner. You're wearing a ton of different caps, right? So they get it. And then they were extremely focused on that. And then secondly, because they didn't raise money and they were bootstrapping, they had a commitment to profitability, right? They were obsessed about being profitable, which I feel like in the last five years is something that just went out the window, <laughs> at least in the world of technology. Cause it was anybody that was a publicly traded company. The story was around growth, right? How much growth can you have? How much growth can you have? which is fine until it's not until we're in, in an environment like we are right now. And now the whole VC world, private equity world has shifted to what's your profitability. So the reason you're seeing all these cuts is because people are going out there trying to tighten up their balance sheet and get profitable, which is so crazy. Dude, that's that. When you think about the human component of that, that's wild. Like from the leaders who built these businesses who are like, wait, now you're telling me I have to do this to now I need to go and lay off a bunch of people. The conversations I have to have there. That's so wild. But it goes to, it goes back to another one of our releases of like undisciplined growth. Yes. Undisciplined operation, not being clear about who you are, which these guys, you know, Ben, uh, Ben Chestnut and Dan, make sure we mention Dan. I can't pronounce that last name though. So don't hold me to that. <laughs> Dan, Dan Curzius. Uh, these guys are, you know, the, the two that really founded MailChimp. Yeah. Uh, and on that, on the note, number 10, Avoiding VC pressure. So one of the reasons, you know, when you become a publicly traded company or you're a venture backed company, man, you are 
you got a bit of a gun to your head to deliver on quote unquote profitable quarters, right? Mm -hmm. Or live up to the expectation or whatever that might be. And so that, that becomes very, very challenging to run your company, uh, well, to make the right decision, not the decision that's best for the balance sheet. Because sometimes I've talked about this before, but workload in a business is like energy. So it's neither created nor destroyed. Yeah. So when you, when you just cut people and you don't replace it with like technology, that just then passed on to somebody else. And so for a short period of time, it feels really good, but then that mounts and eventually it's exacerbated in some other part of the company, right? You lose, you lose you, all the accounts move over to another account manager that account manager is overloaded. They quit, they quit or those customers aren't getting served and they cancel or whatever it might be. And so VC pressure as cool as that might sound to go raise a bunch of money, man, it is when you live in it, which we've lived in it. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. You don't enjoy work. You don't. And you know, what suffers the brand yeah. you know what suffers the customers, the culture, the, the culture. And then you know what happens to the product ultimately suffers. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a wildfire, right? Right. It gets out of hand very, very quickly and you can't ultimately control it. And so in, in the case of these guys, you see a commitment to the opposite of that. Right. Which is what helps you endure 20 years, hundred percent, 20 years. So what do you think some of the emotional turmoils were like 20 years? I, one of the things I love about it is they had a very clear vision. They weren't like focused on an exit, but I can definitely say every couple of years you're having to read. So I wonder what, what the emotional, like you're, how do you, how do you handle that? Right. Yeah. You know, we only, one would only be speculating, but I think one of the things when you talk about emotional turmoil, it's that enduring power, right? That, that steadfastness. And, and one of the things that doesn't get discussed a lot when you're talking about the MailChimp story is that there was a third person involved. Mm. There was a third person involved in this company. Uh, Mark, I believe his last name is Armstrong. But so Dan actually was the third partner. Mm. Uh, but you know, he looked like the co-founder now, but he was the third part. If my information suits me correctly, he was actually the third partner. But speaking of, and how do you endure 20 years? He couldn't make it. The other guy couldn't make it. Yeah. He, he couldn't make it. And, and there's, 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 it hasn't been confirmed, but there were talks that there was a company that wanted to buy them at a smaller number, much smaller number than 12 billion. Yeah. Uh, Mark's probably going, damn, but Mark <laughs> potentially there's speculation that Mark actually wanted to take that deal. And it was just a misalignment and ultimately he was bought out and yeah. is no longer with them. But exactly like, but it's that, that's the emotional turmoil of like the opportunities that come along the way, people being interested, uh, you know, the ups and downs of, Hey, it take, it took 20 years is a long time in the world of business in, yeah. in, in the 21st century. I mean, every two years you're having to reinvent yourself, right? <clears throat> you know, by 10 years, you're probably a relatively mature company. So then you're totally like reinventing yourself all over again. And do you have other factors, you know, speed of technology, how technology is improving? Like yep. all you have social things. factors, you have economic factors, you know, every eight to 10 years, there's some sort of economic recession, right? So they started in 2001. So in tail end of the dot-com bubble, rode the wave, hit 2007 through 2010, essentially 2010 to 2020, they sold in 2021. Yeah. I think they probably thought yeah, 12, 12 billion is probably a good number, but they also got more resources now too. So now they're a part of the Intuit family, right. TurboTax, QuickBooks. What else do they have? They have something else. I can't remember. But anyways, yeah. 
something rocket mortgage or something rocket like mortgage yeah. yeah when you hear ben talk about it at least when i saw him at the sas stars he was like i'm excited about what's next and he started talking about how you can leverage financial data by way of quickbooks to build more intentional targeted email lists and i was like that's pretty cool so the guy has got this just panache for like resetting the vision or expanding and building upon what, what he's already done. So, yeah, I think at the heart of that too, that excitement that he has is he's focused on who he's serving. That, right. That's the key piece. Yeah. Cause it always comes back to what's going to make the best experience right. for a small business owner to be able to email. Well, so. cause that's why they would sell to that company. Right. Because yeah. for years, uh, just again, research, they, they were touting that they weren't going to sell. Yeah. Well, it's a marriage, you know, when you do that and it's your baby, 20 years, you've incubated this thing and you're essentially handing it off. But I'm sure, I'm sure Intuit gave them some autonomy too to say, Hey, here's how we're going to support you yeah. resources and data wise. And just so you guys can go to the next level. So it allowed them to get something that they probably couldn't get on their own. And they needed that in order to make the product better, which data now is becoming the most important thing. Dude, it, so this story is a little bit, I know we're going to, we're going to wrap, but it's, this story is a little bit deeper too. There's two elements that we, we, we won't have time to discuss today, but one of them is, uh, 2000, I think 17, 18, they changed their pricing model mm. and it actually drove away a lot of core customer users, but revenue obviously went up. Right. Um, and so that was a little bit of a brand hit. And then. Cause the SMB was their core right. customer. Right. And then the pricing went up to a point that was maybe felt a little bit. Yeah. Unattainable. Yeah. But yeah. long game, they kept their pricing there, right? Long game, they kept it there, but it did get more expensive. Right. And so that made them a, a more appealing company in terms of revenue, profitability, right? Uh, those things. And then that piece of selling. So they had touted internally that they weren't going to sell for a long time. And so those are just little things along the way that, but it's all choices you have to make, but you can't even be in that position to have to make those choices unless you start off the right way. You gotta have a clear vision. The game is long. You gotta have endurance. Right. And so the vision will help you endure. And then obviously the more that you can control your own destiny by way of bootstrapping your company, self-funding, leveraging profitability, staying lean, those are the things that will ultimately lead you to a very successful and probably very profitable exit. Mm -hmm. At the very least, a company that's self-managing and and makes you a lot of money. Um, gives you kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. Exactly. So. So until next time, guys, that's Bootstrapped. We appreciate you guys. Looking forward to the next one. Peace out.